please make sure you go over to YouTube, subscribe, or you can always find us on any of the podcast platforms, and that's Fostering Change. Well, you know what? It's so hard to believe we have another episode of Fostering Change. And by the way, what an amazing weekend. You know, this past weekend, we actually had our barbecue benefit. You know, over 300 people showed up um, to truly support um, the mission of Comfort Cases. And I just want to personally say thank you. But what I really want to thank is all of our viewers, all of our listeners, people that watch us on our YouTube channel because of you, um, Fostering Change change was just voted the number one podcast in our foster care community for the third year in a row. So I am so, so excited to introduce my next guest. My next guest actually is the founder and CEO of an organization called National Angels. You know, when I heard about this organization, you know, I, I constant, constantly keep saying this to people. Organizations like this is truly going to change the forefront of foster care. And that's exactly what we need to do. The status quo of how we were doing it for so long has not worked, my friends. And we know it hasn't worked because of the statistics that we see today. The needle's not moving. The needle's not moving. I see a lot of money going out, but I don't see any movement. And this organization is seeing the movement. So before we get into any more conversation, please welcome my friend Susan, who is again, the CEO and founder of National Angels. Susan, welcome to Fostering Change. Thank you, Rob. I'm so excited to be here with you. Well, I am excited to talk to you, and I'm excited for all of our listeners and viewers to find out about your organization. Um, so let's get right to it. Um, what exactly is, you know, National Angels? So National Angels, it was such a beautiful tee up to talk about transforming the foster care experience and moving the needle forward, because that is exactly what our organization is set out to do. It is set out to change the way that children, youth, and families experience foster care. And so what we do is we have a program. We have two main programs, the Love Box and the Dare to Dream program. Both of those are designed uh, to kind of radically walk alongside children, youth, and families that are experiencing the foster care through a really radical customization support. So what that means is identifying what are the needs that a child has, what are the needs that a caregiver has, and how do we remove barriers so that a child can stay in placement. Um, and our Dare to Dream program is a mentorship, a one-on-one -on -one mentorship program where a youth will um, hit 10 developmental milestones. So things like opening up a bank account, understanding financial literacy, obtaining their driver's license, and so on and so forth, with the idea that they are fully prepared for adult living about what happens after they age out at 18 years old. We want them fully equipped and prepared for adulthood uh, because we believe that every single child should have at least one healthy adult who knows the color of their eyes and the passions of their heart and be able to remove barriers for them so that they can reach their fullest potential. Wow. Uh, and our North Star is changing the stats. How do we change the statistics? How do we change the outcomes? And we believe we do that through relationships. So it's just a real honor, Rob, to be here with you today. We receive comfort cases. Uh, we pass those along. Uh, we just did a big shipment uh, for back to school. Um, and and uh, it, it's just incredible. So I'm so happy to be here with you today. Big fan of, of what you do and what you stand well, for. I'm a fan of yours. And I, let's say I want to talk about the Hope Box because I absolutely love this. I love, love, love this. I love the fact, you know, one of the things 
you know, and, and as you know, you know, I grew up in the system. I aged out of the system. I've adopted five children with my husband out of the system. And so, you know, there's, I don't think, you know, I am so into the system. And the thing that I see in the system that I really think that See, people just, I mean, this is why I say, and by the way, I know you guys are going to send me the hate emails. I get them all the time. This is an industry that makes money on the back of children, okay, because of the fact they're not making change. And when you made the comment of how to keep a child in placement, it's almost like I agree with you. But what I also want to see is how to keep a child in their family of origin, you know, mm -hmm. and if, you know, that to me is, I think that, you know, it's like, and, and. I feel like what we need to do is that when a child comes into the system, the very first thing that should happen, no matter what the reason that that child is coming into the system, unless there's severe abuse. And by the way, we know for a fact that statistics show us 23% are kids in the system because of the abuse. The rest is because of the word neglect. We know the word neglect is no more than defined by poverty. So what we should do the day that that child comes into the system, everybody comes to the table. I want the parents of origin there. I want the foster parents at that table. I want the guardian of litem at that table. I want the CASA worker at that table. I want the social worker at that table. And I want them to look at the birth parents. And I want them to say, what can we do to make this path as quickly as possible to have your baby back in your arms? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I agree with that. Um, and I think, you know, what we say, National Angels, is the foster care community, community, not just foster parents, not just child experience foster care, but the entire community that not everybody's called to foster and not everybody's called to adopt, but everyone can play a role and make a difference. And I think when we have a whole community that wraps around the foster care system, that's what creates change. Um, and so our love box program, we have it so that the intention is to keep children in placement. You know, the statistics, 50% of foster parents will close their home within the first year. So what we know is that on average, children will move seven times within two years. Our program says if, if the child is removed and placed in a home, how do we keep them in placement stability until they go back to biological family, which is the goal? Uh, or they become a permanent part of that home through adoption? How do we prevent kids from moving from home to home to home? And in the event that they go back to biological, our Love Box program goes with them. So that support is then wrapped around biological family where appropriate and where needed. Um, and tell me, what is in a Love Box? So the, the, so the Love Box program, when we match volunteers, so let's say we get a referral that comes in that says, I'm a foster parent, I'm self-referral, or we get the attorney at Lightham or a CASA worker or a state worker that says, I'd like to refer this family to your program. What happens is we do what's called a strength assessment with the foster, with the caregivers. And we say, tell me where you're killing it being a parent. And then tell me where there's area of gaps where we can kind of help fill um, some of the needs. Is it a financial need? Is it babysitting need? Is it transportation? Like what are all the needs? And you just go through and you just understand where this one family could use support. Then we put all of that information into what's kind of like a match.com algorithm. And we match people based on scope of need and capability to give. So um, for you and your husband, you might not have a high financial need, but you've got five freaking kids. And so like, oh my God, <laughs> I love a date night. 
And so we'd love a date night every other Friday, or we'd love somebody to help with dinner. We'd love help with soccer practice. So our case managers will enter in that data and we'll match people on uh, scope of need capability. And then what happens is that case manager and that volunteer works to fill those needs and fill the gaps where there is no other social service that's doing that so um, uniquely where it's actually tailored to that specific family. So the love box could be filled with items like, hey, I need toilet paper, paper towels, laundry, soap. Right. Um, we send kids back to school or October. Hey, it's um, Halloween. Kids need costumes, pumpkin. Right. Kit. Like, could you help provide that? So every month it's going to look like custom support for the caregivers and for the family. So what also makes our program unique is that we believe that when a parent decides to foster, so does every child in the home. And so we believe in breaking down the otherness. There is no such thing as like, we're going to show up and just be there for that one kid. It's right. every kid in the home and mom and dad or and dad and dad or single mom or, you know, everybody gets the support. I We had a, a, a conversation not that long ago with a caregiver out of Seattle who's fostered for 50 years, her and her husband. And she said, Susan, it was the first time she said, you know, I have six teenagers in my home at all times. And one of the social workers would pick the child up to go take them to biological visits. And then they'd bring back a burger and a Coke. Uh, but they were the only child that got that special treat. And so while the social worker thought that they were doing a great thing to, to bring them a, a Coke and a burger, what it did was it created absolute disruption in my home. That one kid would get really mad, like, oh, you're getting to do visits. I don't get to do visits. And you got a Coke and knock it out of their hand and create a fight. And it was a trauma response. And so she said, I would have to tell them, if you're going to pick up these kids or you're going to bring something, you have to bring it for all or yes. no one. And she said, what happened is no one got anything ever. So when the angels program started to support them and we brought something for every kid. So if Jimmy gets something, so does Johnny, so does Serena, they all get it. Everybody gets it. And that's what it means to holistically support the family unit that breaks down the otherness and says, you matter, you matter, you matter, you all matter in this system and in this program. So, you know what, the fact is, is that I am 100% on board with that, because I, as a kid who grew up in the system, was constantly watching as the biological children got stuff, but me, because I was the foster kid, I didn't get it. Um, and, you know, and, and that works havoc on your brain, you know, and, you know, that truly works havoc on your brain. And I love, 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 let me tell you, when my husband and I became foster parents, we had four kids arrive within a three-month period. They were they were four, two, two, and six months. And we had no support. Yes. Here we were, we had never been parents before. We had no support. And I remember saying to Reese, I truly understand why a foster parent lasts for a year. Because the burnout of not having, you know, in there were for doctor's appointments and family visits and, and, you know, we wanted to be very active with our children. But, you know, one of the things that just really got me is that, you know, I see that, you know, so many foster parents, you know, they're doing it, you know. And you and I both know not all of them are doing it because of the right reason, but the majority of them are doing it. And the problem they're not staying and the ones that are not staying in it. The ones who truly have the heart there, you know, the ones that we want to have our kids, they're leaving because they're not 
supported. And so to see an organization like yours come in and do this, I'm gonna tell you something. This is, listen up everybody. You know, I, I say this quite often, you know, you cannot have organizations like this without financial support. Understand that. You know, we all know that. So listen up. Um, the website is right here. Her website's going to be here. I want you to go. I want you to donate. By the way, this is my birthday month. Throw Rob some birthday love and go and donate to National Angels. Now let's jump over to your other program, okay? Because I have this unbelievable soft spot within my heart when it comes to kids who are aging out. Um, you know, this year, Reese and I actually were able to finalize the adoption of our fifth child. He arrived in our home at the age of 18. Um, he's now 22. I remember when I met him, this green-eyed, beautiful boy who had just been put from place to place to place to place, and all he wanted was permanency. He just wanted a family to look at him and say, I love you unconditionally. And it gets me choked up to talk about my son, Alex. But you made the comment that, you know, every child deserves to have somebody, you know, I remember standing in the courtroom and I said to the judge, you know, every, because I was asked, you know, why would you adopt a 22 year old? You know, you know, he'd been with you since he was 18. And I remind everybody that every single child deserves a foundation. Every child deserves to know someone loves them unconditionally, that someone is there when they fall back and they're going to catch them. Every child deserves to know that. And the thing that you said that I will not forget is that every child deserves to have one adult know the color of their eyes. I love that, Susan. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So tell me about this program because I truly, let, and, and you know, real quick, my opinion on this is that when children enter the system, we should immediately start preparing them for exiting the system because we know that they get no support when they exit the system. And we, you know, we have states that, you know, they hand the kid a check for $500 and say goodbye. And that's the thing that always blows my mind. We ride in on the white horse to save the child. But as soon as that child gets to that age of, you know, they age and out, see you later. I think we need to prepare kids immediately. We need to start focusing on futures and not waiting till they're 16 because you know as well as I do. If a kid who's in the system and all of a sudden you start at 16, they're already pissed off. You know, everybody's let them down. Seven placements in two years. I mean, come on. You know, I, I want to know about this program because I love, love, love this. Yeah. So there is a uh, famous quote by Desmond Tutu, who's a South African theologian and human rights activist. And he says, there comes a point where he said, because he's passed away, but he, he said that there comes a point in time where we have to stop pulling people out of the river. We have to go upstream and find out why they're falling in. And it's such a powerful quote when we hear about what happens when children, youth age out of the foster care system. We know that the statistics are stacked so high against them that even though they have a full ride to most state schools, they won't go 97%, you know, won't earn a college degree, even though they, they have that full ride. And, and it's not just that stat, it's the prison stat. The majority of our prison are homeless, human traffic victims. So if we go upstream, uh, what we find is that there is a point where the majority of all of that starts with foster care. It is what feeds in to all these other all these other social issues. And people are like, oh, foster care doesn't affect me. It does. It affects all of us. 
every single one of, one of us. us, every one of us, it does. And I think, you know, so for me, I'm so passionate about ensuring, and I agree with you wholeheartedly, Rob, that we have to equip children with skills and resources and knowledge and have the understanding of what is the passions of their heart and be able to remove barriers in tandem with them. So transformation, what we believe is that if we're going to empower youth, we have to work with them to equip them. Not that it's like, here's $500, figure it out. That will never work. But what are your dreams? What are your desires? Well, I don't know. Do you want to go visit trade schools? Let's go look at welding. Let's go look at plumbing. Let's go look at, you know, cosmetology schools. Do you want to go to college? I don't know. Let's go do site visits at the university, at the community college. Let's go visit. Do you want to go into a branch of service? I don't know. Let's go meet with a recruiter. We have to give kids an opportunity of vision of what can be capable that the idea that you age out and you go homeless should be completely off the table. That if we are working to empower them, to give them choice, to allow them, and then also to push them about what they are capable of. Because when you get moved seven times, or you have in your experience where a child doesn't get the ice cream or the vacation, what that says is I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. And we have to rewrite that. We have to rewrite that. And we have to say, you are, and let us walk together hand in hand so that you can achieve all the dreams and desires of your heart. And also it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a hard road, but I'm in this with you. Now all of a sudden we see transformation taking place. We see kids take little risks, try new things. Um, And, and so our dare to dream program is about fully preparing them for adult living. I love it. I fully prepare youth for adult living. And they need to be prepared because the fact is, it's just like I prepare my five kids. You know, my, you know, my husband and I are very adamant. They have their checking accounts. They have to learn how to balance it. What does it mean to overdraft and all? I mean, you know, that's what parents do. You know, you brought up the point where you said that they children deserve to have a vacation. Okay. You know, one of the things that has really, really bothered me and, and has bothered me since I was a young boy is respite. You know, um, I remember as a young boy, um, you know, my foster family going on vacation. I was taken to a respite house and I they would come back a week later and I'd have to sit in the back seat and listen to them talk about their trip to Disney World. Um, you know, and I would I didn't go. And and I've talked to other kids in the system who've aged out and um, you know, they've 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 made the same comment, you know, about you know the beach trips by they were dropped off at respite, or you know, and I understand every parent needs a break, by the way we have five kids. We have five kids. We are fortunate enough that, you know, my kids now they're teenagers, but when they were younger, you know, we would bring a nanny in and and watch them Why my husband and I got at least a trip away just on a weekend. If we got one night, um, normally what happened, we'd sit there, talk about the kids the whole time and say, what the heck are we doing here? Let's go back home and get our babies. Um, But how do you feel about the respite though? You know, I feel like it's such a a focus for us, for the whole family unit. And I think, you know, I encourage people to do what feel like what they feel like they need to do in order to continue to foster. But, But we focus heavily, holistically on creating an environment where it's the whole family, you know, 
Yeah. The but I also have to tell you that it's the whole entire family of the foster parents as well. And here's a good example. When our children came to us, um, we immediately got their aunt and uncle certified that our children were allowed to spend the night at their house. Because as you know, a kid in the system, they have to, you know, they have to go. But but immediately, you know, my sister Helena and my brother-in-law Lance stepped up and said, you know what, we're going to take the classes, we're going to do everything because we want our nephews and our niece to be able to spend the night come and stay with us and so we did that immediately so so the kids never felt like they were you know dropped off at you know who's doing respite this weekend you know so I really hope that I wish that foster parents when they when they're looking to take this journey um that they they sit down with their whole family and say listen you know because I have to tell you something when my children arrived and by the way they did not arrive thinking that we were going to adopt them as you know the goal is reunification but my in-laws, the I rem, I'll never forget my in-laws arrived the day after our kids arrived, stayed with us for two weeks to help us because we had like no idea what the heck we were doing. But they never once treated my kids like they were kids from the foster care system. These were their babies. Um, Incredible, you know. because that's not the norm. So to have that kind of family support is vital. And I think you're absolutely right. And that's what makes our program when we do this strength assessment to say, what do you need? Many of them will say like, I have no one here. I have no family supporting right. me. I have no one helping me. And so I feel very passionate about, uh, you know, the idea that children would go to a stranger's house again, uh, just yeah. it's really heartbreaking. So how do we keep them in the family? I remember when I was, I fostered this beautiful little boy um, big, big blue eyes. And, uh, anyways, my best friend did respite for me. And I remember when he was getting reunified, uh, her name was T Tanya, but she goes by T Logan had said to T, I want to thank you for loving me at five years old. Uh, thank you for loving me. And because she had kind of played that anti role. Right. And, and I just think, you know, I just think like that is, the absolute best outcome for a child to feel loved by so many people. Quick story in our Olympic chapter. So what I didn't mention prior is that National Angels operates in 21 cities and 16 states across the country. Our Olympic chapter a few months ago called me and said, I got an impact story. I got to tell you, there was a young little girl, seven years old, who spent, you know, three years in foster care. And the foster mom was having a conversation with her through the therapist. And they said to the little girl, why do you think that you're in foster care? And she said, oh, because so many people love me. That's oh. why I'm in foster care. And um, when our Olympic chapter called me, I said, that is the actual dream of the situation that kids are treated so well that that is their point of view of why they're in foster care because so many people love them. Oh my gosh, I love that. I absolutely love that. Listen, everybody, the organization is National Angels. And in November, they are actually doing a give-a-thon. The give-a-thon is from the 21st to the 28th. And so, listen, I'm asking you to do me a favor. It's National Adoption Awareness Month for the month of November. You know, um, let's go and show Susan some love. You know, let's do it this month for my birthday. Let's do it next month for their give-a-thon. And let's continue to realize that when you support a child, 
Okay. When you support a child, you truly support and invest in your future, in your future. Let me tell you the reason why the children that you invest in are our leaders of tomorrow. They're truly our leaders of tomorrow. So don't you want a great leader? You know, don't you want a great leader? And you do that by investing, by investing. Susan, you are absolutely amazing. I could talk to you all day. I definitely want to have you back. I want to know more. I want to see how you grow. I just absolutely love this. Everybody, the website link is right here. You can click right on it. It'll take you right to National Angels. Do that donation. See how you can get involved. Maybe there's a chapter within the area they're living. You know, volunteering is the biggest thing that can fill your heart. And by the way, not all of you can adopt. Not all of you can foster. Not all of you can donate. But I will tell you that each and every one of you have the most valuable thing that we all have in common. And that is your time. That is your time. And that's all children are asking for. So go out today and be a good human. Susan, take care, my friend. Thank you.